The wait is over. Millennial Kingdom plus Mud Flood is here. At over 450 pages, my latest book is jam-packed with information, including a large swath of scripture, all of which details the redemptive promises of his story. The Millennial Kingdom of Messiah happened precisely on schedule. You can purchase your own copy at Amazon.com or Sacred Word Publishing. Please do me a favor and drop in a review. I appreciate your support. Shabbat Shalom, Hebrews and Shebrews. This is the Diaspora of Yasharel. And tonight we will be starting with First Clements again. We did this a couple of weeks ago, and we will not be finishing the book tonight. I hope to get about 15 more chapters through this. And, you know, the big news today, I was kind of following the news a little bit today, is Roe versus Wade. I can't believe, it's really hard to believe that was overturned in my lifetime. Then again, it's not that hard to believe. And I don't know where we're going in the narrative. I don't really know what's going to happen next, if this is some sort of signpost for some big event that's going to drop. But I, I will give words due and just praise Yah that that we have a, uh, that the states are now allowed to choose to not abort babies. And that means, if it means that there are less babies that are aborted and murdered in this world, then praise Yah for that. So... That's, uh, you know, I, I keep out of the political realm and you guys know a lot of my views on how everything is a script and staged. And I, I, I very much believe this is, and it came on a, the, the way it just kind of was tossed out there and there wasn't even a debate on it. Um, I think that's really suspicious, but still, uh, praise you that there will be hopefully, uh, more, more lives coming into this world as a result of that. So let's get started. You guys, I, I, I dropped into the room first Clement. You can follow along either on the website and the article I put up or on the PDF. Both have been edited by me. And as I pointed out last week, that the, the translation I wanted to use is by a guy named Michael Holmes. And it's a beautiful translation of first Clement. He did such a, a good job, but of course it's copyrighted and they put a strict copyright on that. You know, you can't replicate any of this for any purpose unless if it's for criticism purposes, you know, for little snippets here and there. So you guys have the, um, this is like from the 1800s, you know, obviously public domain. And we're going to be starting out tonight on chapter 27. So here we go. Chapter 27, First Clements. Oh, and just to reiterate here that the, the theme of this book, and we're going to be seeing it now next week, uh, or at least next time we go into this, is where he really brings it home. He hits it home, and you see the, the full weight of what he's talking about. But the idea with First Clement is schisms in the church. And as I pointed out, I think that this is a, however you take this book, whether it should be scripture or just some dude writing a letter in a, you know, 
an apostolic father and no, why are you giving this guy any credence? It's because he gives some amazing perspective from the first century and what was going on. And I, as I pointed out, I do believe that there was a very big schism in the early church of, you know, people saying, I follow Peter. Well, I follow Paul. And Clement was a disciple of Peter of Kepha. And what he has to say here is really interesting. And as we saw last week, for for Clement in the first century, everything hinged upon your works. Everything hinges upon your works. It's not what you believe. It's not whether you know you believe this doctrine or that doctrine or whatever. And he's not coming in and you know going after the Gnostics and all these threats. It's like, look, it all comes down to your works. You know, if, if you're out there um gossiping and slandering and you know you know i don't uh, challenging a you know authority and have jealousy and all these that that's a huge issue for him you know he wants us to be he doesn't he never talks about the fruit of the spirit in here there's very little of what i see as polyanity in this and i think that's interesting so with that no further ado let's get into it chapter 27 with this hope therefore let our souls be bound unto him that is faithful in his promises and that is righteous in his judgments he that commanded not to lie, but much more shall he himself not lie. This is speaking, of course, of Yahuwah. For nothing is impossible with Elohim save to lie. So according to Clement, he's saying it's impossible for Yahuwah to lie. That's an interesting thought. I never really thought of that before. Uh, but um, I, I don't know if he has any scripture to back that up. But uh, I won't debate that right now. Therefore, let our faith in him be kindled within us, and let us understand that all things are nigh unto him. By a word of his majesty, he compacted the universe, and by a word, he can destroy it. That's We're not going to be talking about that too much, but just the idea that he compacted the universe, I, I've never, I don't know if I've seen anybody phrase it that way in scripture. Now, he has very clearly Hebrew cosmology. I mean, the, the water is above and the, 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 the earth stands fast and is motionless and the, the deep and all that stuff. I mean, he talks about all this stuff. So, but this idea of compacting the universe is, is interesting to say the least. I think some of where I've seen similar viewpoints to this comes from second Enoch. And again, we're not going to be doing a study on that tonight. And by word, he can destroy it. Who shall say unto him, what hast thou done? Or who shall resist the might of his strength when he listeth and as he listeth, he will do all things, and nothing shall pass away of those things that he hath decreed. All things are in his sight, and nothing escapeth his counsel. Seeing that the heavens declare the glory of Elohim, and the firmament proclaimeth his handiwork, day uttereth word into day, and night proclaimeth knowledge into night, and there are neither words nor speeches whose voices are not heard. Chapter 28. Let me see if I had any notes here on that. I don't think I do. All right. Chapter 28. Since therefore all things are seen and heard, let us fear him and forsake the abominable, abominable lust of evil works, that we may, may be shielded by his mercy from the coming judgments. For where can any of us escape from his strong hand? And what world will receive any of them that does, desert from his service. Wow, this is really worded differently than the, the version I read from. For the holy writing saith in a certain place, where shall I go? And where shall I be hidden from thy face? If I ascend into the heaven, thou art there. 
If I depart into the farthest parts of the earth, there is thy right hand. If I make my bed in the depths, there is thy spirit. Whether then shall one depart, or where shall one flee from him that embraceth the universe? And so, oh, you know what? My notes were a little bit turned around there. What I found interesting is that he doesn't identify Yahusha Hamashiach as the word. I found that really interesting. And he talked about how, I think it was, I guess, was it 27? He talked about how with a word he can, you know, he created the world and with a word he can destroy it, which is a little bit interesting because he's, he, you know, from the classic Greek text of John and also the Aramaic Targum, which refers to the word of Yahuwah as a divine being. You get that sense in the Aramaic Targum that the word of Yahuwah is literally a divine being that is somehow associated with the Father. They never really explained it too much other than the fact that he is Messiah. Um, he doesn't see, Clement doesn't seem to be writing from that perspective. So I found that a little bit interesting. All right, 29 is where it, this really starts getting phenomenal. Let us therefore approach him in holiness of soul, lifting up pure and undefiled hands unto him with love towards our gentle and compassionate father who made us an elect portion unto himself. For thus it is written, when the Most High divided the nations, when he dispersed the sons of Adam, he fixed the boundaries of the nations according to the number of the angels of Elohim. We just went over this last week in the Aramaic Targum in Genesis, that these are the, he's referring to the 70 angels right here. His people, Yaakov, became the portion of Yahuwah, and Yasharel the measurements of his inheritance. And in another place, he saith, Behold, Yahuwah taketh for himself a nation out of the midst of the nations, as a man taketh the first fruits of his threshing floor, and the holy of holies shall come forth from the nation. That was unbelievable if you guys are following along. He's, he's saying here that the set apart are Israel. He is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 34, and also Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 9. I think I'm going to be quoting from Deuteronomy 32 tonight. But he's saying the Holy of Holies is in the set-apart nation of Israel. We are told today that we are no longer, you know, that we no longer need to approach Mount Sinai. And yet we read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 49, one law shall be to him that is uh, homeborn. And unto the stranger that sojourneth among you, it doesn't matter if you are homeborn or the if you are a, a children of Israel or a sojourner. If you want to come into the covenants, you know, you're coming into one law. And he's not Clement doesn't appear to be saying here like, oh, well, you know, I'm I'm after I'm after Messiah. So, you know, that the Gentiles now, it's you know, the, it's all the Gentiles now. It's like, no, we're we're still if you want to be the covenant. You're still coming into this one people group. So here's his quote from Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 9. And as you guys can already tell, I'm not going to be going through all of them, but this letter is basically mostly just him lifting different passages of scripture and putting them into one uh, almost seamless text. And here's what it says. When the Most High divided the nations, their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For Yahuwah's portion is his people. Yaakov is the lot of his inheritance. So Clement is saying, uh, post-Messiah, after Paul is dead, after Peter is dead, he's like, 
Israel is still his in is his inheritance. Uh, the children of Yaakov. So if you want to be in his inheritance, you're jumping on board the Israel ship. Uh, I actually won't go over this here in Genesis 11. I went over this last week in the Aramaic Targum. So no reason to go over it again, the 70 angels and all that. But he's obviously talking about the fact that there were these, these Elohim that he handed the nations over to the 70 Elohim, which is not what we want to be a part of. We do not want them to be our Elohim. Uh, but, you know, there's nowhere in scripture where it says after Yahusha that uh, he went back to the um, the 70, except for the millennial kingdom, of course. But, you know, there's nowhere he's like after his death and resurrection, he goes to the 70 Elohim and go, OK, I'll take the keys back now. Um, you know, you know, people can stay uh, Italian or British or German and, you know, still be in my covenant. It's like, nope, you got to come over to Israel. All right. Chapter. 30. Seeing then that we are the special portion of a holy Elohim. So again, he's writing to an audience that identifies with being the set-apart portion. He's writing to Israel. He has just identified the people group. Let us do all things that pertain unto holiness. Forsaking. So he'll talk about the things we are to do and the things that we are for, to forsake. Starting with the forsaking. Evil speakings, abominable and impure embraces, drunkenness and tumults and hateful lust, abominable adultery, hateful pride. For Elohim, he saith, resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the lowly. Let us therefore cleave unto those to whom grace is given from Elohim. Let us clothe ourselves in concord, being lowly minded and temperate, holding ourselves aloof from all backbiting and evil speaking, which again is the cause of the a huge part of the the schism here the the backbiting you know paul's out of the room we're going to talk bad about him oh peter is gone we're going to talk bad about him and you know we're going to talk bad about all these leaders being justified by works and not by words for he saith he that saith much shall hear also again do what the reader talker think to be righteous blessed is the offspring of a woman that liveth but a short time by the way he's quoting job and um, so he, I, oh man, he doesn't quote it very well, but okay, let, I'll, I'll keep reading. Blessed is the offspring of a woman that liveth but a short time. These are Job's words. Be not thou abundant in words, which I felt like that really struck at my heart because I'm like, I'm like, Clement is basically criticizing people who like to talk a lot. He's like, you guys like to talk a lot, but you guys aren't really doers of anything. And I don't put much value on that. You could keep talking all you want, but I don't really care about all your doctrines. My like Clement's only doctrine is like feeding the, the hungry, the widows, the orphans, that kind of stuff. Let our praise, let our praise be with Elohim and not of ourselves. For Elohim hateth them that praise themselves. Well, there's something that, that Elohim hates. We always, you know, there's a catchphrase of, uh, you know, you're supposed to, you know, uh, God hates the, uh, loves the sinner, but hates the sin. But there are, there are scripture verses that straight out say that he hateth certain people uh, who, you know, commit certain sins, who are one of those obviously is a, is a proud person who uh, just gives praise to themselves here. I'll have to see in my notes if I quoted where he's actually quoting that from. Let the testimony to our well-doing be given by others as it was given unto our fathers who were righteous. 
Boldness and arrogance and daring are for them that are cursed of Elohim, but forbearance and humility and gentleness are with them that are blessed of Elohim. So once again, here in chapter 30, we see that we are the portion of the Holy One. If He's only writing here to Israel. So if he's writing to you or to me, then we are to be, you know, in, in Israel. So though we have seen in the past, and we will see again, that jealousy is a major contributor to the division, pride appears to be another cause uh, of this, as he mentioned here. As Verse 3 states, let us therefore join with those to whom grace is given by Elohim. That would be the set apart. He's asking us to be a part, you know, the set apart. Those are the ones that are given grace by Elohim, not those who are of the other nations. He's Again, if you know people say we're in the age of grace, I don't need to be in Israel. That's like, no, actually, that's not true. If you want to be in grace, you know, in his graces, you need to be set apart. Here's what he quoted in Job chapter 11, verses 2 through 3. And I don't know what version I, uh, he was quoting specifically from the LXX. So for apologies, I don't think I'm quoting from the LXX here. It seems like most of what he's quoting from, interestingly enough, is the LXX. Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be justified? So <laughs> Job is telling his three friends, is like, you're not justified. You're just, you're just full of words, dude. Like, you're not gonna be justified for that. Should they should thy lies make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed. So Clement's entire worldview isn't words, it's action. I keep saying this, but so does Clement. So I want to get this point across. With, with Job, his three friends came to judge him. We've all encountered these types. Like they literally traveled from afar to stand around and just look down at him and go like, just shake their heads and like, oh, you're, 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 you messed up, dude. They don't, have, they don't have any uplifting words. They're just there to elevate themselves over him. And we all have these friends as well. Hopefully we are not Job's friends. Hopefully we don't do this to our family and loved ones and just elevate ourselves over them. Um, and that's the context of what he's talking about here. So chapter 31. Let us therefore cleave unto his blessing and let us see what are the ways of blessing. Let us study the records of the things that have happened from the beginning. I love that. Boom. Wherefore was our father Abraham blessed? Was it not because he wrought righteousness and truth through faith? Yitchak was with confidence as knowing the future was led a willing sacrifice. Yaakov, with humility, departed from his land because of his brother and went unto Laban and served. And the 12 tribes of Yasharel were given unto him. So when he talks here about study the record from the beginning, uh, this is not the first time that Clement has given the Torah as an authority. Now, people would debate with me. Oh, he's not talking about the Torah. Actually, the, the three examples he gives are Torah. Actually, uh, he tells us about uh, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So look who he identifies here. They're the patriarchs in Torah. Abraham was blessed because of faith, which was an action. Yitzhak had confidence, with, confidence which led him uh, to be willing to be sacrificed. So again, that's an action. He's like, I am going up this mountain with my, my dad right now, knowing that he's going to stick a knife in me. Yaakov left the land and went into servitude, actually slavery, so as not to have conflicts with his brother. And he was given the scepter as a result. 
uh, he, I think he pointed out earlier that Esau's problem was jealousy. And um, Yahuwah ultimately rewarded the one who, uh, you know, humbled himself even unto servitude. Right, chapter 32. If any man will consider them one by one in sincerity, he shall understand the magnificence of the gifts that are given by him. For of Yaakov are all the priests and Levites who minister unto the altar of Elohim. Guys, pay attention to this chapter. This is this blew my socks off. Of him, of him is Yahuwah. Uh, oh, actually, that's another um, translation error. I'm sorry. That's my bad. It should be, of him is Adonai, Yahusha, as concerning the flesh. Of him are kings and rulers and governors in the line of Yehuda. Yea, and the rest of his tribes are held in no small honor, seeing that Elohim promised, saying, Thy seed shall be as the stars of heaven. They all therefore were glorified and magnified, not through themselves or their own works or the righteous doing which they wrought, but through his will. And so we, having been called through his will in Messiah, Yahushua, are not justified through ourselves or through our own wisdom or understanding or piety or works which we wrought in holiness of heart, but through faith whereby the almighty Elohim justified all men that we have been from the beginning to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, some people will say, and this struck me as potentially the most Pauline chapter in the book. There are some things here that sounds very much like Romans, which is interesting that he's the Bishop of Rome. And what's the book that was written to Rome was, you know, it, it almost feels like a chapter out of there. So I, I'm going to, again, argue that the more I read of this, it, it appears as though the temple has not been destroyed yet as of this writing. He, he's saying that the Levites are still the priests doing the sacrifices. In a little bit, he will get more specific about that. From here, Clements is starting to build a case for how we are justified in our salvation. Again, it's, it seems a little bit Romanish, not surprising. We have been called through Yahuwah's will to be set apart in Israel, just as just as Israel. Israel did nothing to deserve being set apart. I mean, that's that's fact. He there were seventy nations. Uh, he disinherited humanity, and he Yahuwah created one nation out of that. The nation didn't do anything to deserve that. Yahuwah created that, and he called people into it. And we, as members of Israel. Therefore, don't deserve it either. That's what Clement is saying here. We, we don't deserve it. And uh, I mean, I, I'm just letting you guys know that that's how I, I feel about myself. I don't feel like I deserve salvation. And I, I believe, of course, salvation comes at the end. It's not something like I have a salvation birthday, you know, from like 30 years ago, you know, on some warm summer night, you know, an altar call. Like, I believe salvation comes at the end. I am. There are many times throughout my life that Yah has saved me. But. You know, salvation is something that I have to persevere into the end. If I, I can give the first, let's say I live to be 80 years old. I could give the first 75 of my, my years of my life over to Yah. And then like, I'm tired of this. I want to go live in the world. I could throw it all the way in the last five years. That's too bad. I really screwed up there. This is something we need to persevere into the end, but I'm not deserving of it. I, I don't for a moment believe that I deserve to go into heaven or that, you know, that I have some standing there or that, you know, I, I've said to this group before, if I make it in, 
I, I'm going to be like on my face, just like laying there prostrate for like 20, 30, 40 years, you know, like at the, the front gateway to one of the tribes, you know, whatever I enter in Jerusalem, somebody's going to have to come along and like, be like, dude, you like, you missed out on the feast. It was really great. Uh, but here's a beer. You you can get up now. You know, I mean, like, I'm just going to be like, yes, I made it. All right. So anyways, he's building the case. And as you shall see here that he's not, he's not, this isn't like some slippery slope where Clement is saying, oh, well, you could, you know, he he's not giving liberties to sin here. Okay, let's be very clear. And as we continue these chapters, as he builds this case, Israel's the true identity. They're the set apart. He's saying, you have done nothing to deserve being a part of Israel if you identify as Israel. You've done nothing. And, but, if you're not out there, but his whole worldview is good works. If you're not out there showing your love for the Most High by serving him and serving the congregation, then Yah, Yah doesn't like that kind of person. And he gets really strong with his words. So it's kind of a flip of a coin. All right, I think we're on chapter 30, uh, 33. Yeah. What then must we do, brethren? Must we idly abstain from doing good and forsake love? So he's clarifying here. He's like, don't confuse me. May the master never allow this to befall us at least. But let us hasten and with instancy and zeal to accomplish every good work. I almost think you're, of, I'll quote Paul, I'll, uh, when he said, you know, I can do all things through Christ. Christians tell me all the time, well, it's impossible to do Torah. And it's like, well, whatever happens, I can do all things through Christ. Apparently, you can do all things but Torah. May the master never allow this to befall us at least, but let us hasten with instancy and zeal to accomplish every good work. For the creator and master of the universe himself rejoiceth in his works. This is so good, this case he's building right here. For by his exceeding great might, he established the heavens, and in his incomprehensible wisdom, he set them in order. And the earth he separated from the water that surrounded it, and he set it firm on the sure foundation of his own will, and the living creatures which walk upon it he commanded to exist by his ordinance. It seems like, I'm going to just say that Clement is a flat earther, and it seems really important to him because this is not the first time he's brought it up now as an example of salvation and work. Probably three or four times in this letter now, like entire chapters devoted to this. So he brings it up a lot. Seems like creation, the the biblical creation is very dear to his heart. Having before created the sea and the living creatures therein, he enclosed it by his own power. Above all, as the most excellent and exceeding great work of his intelligence, with his sacred and faultless hands, he formed man in the impress of his own image. For thus saith Elohim, let us make man after our image and after our likeness. And Elohim made man, male and female made he them. So having finished all these things, he praised them and blessed them and said, increase and multiply. We have seen that all the righteous were adorned in good works. Did you get that right there? We have seen that all the righteous were adorned in good works. Like, like you know, just clothed in it, right? Like just decorated. And you would see them and you would see how beautiful they are from their good works. Yea, and Yahuwah himself, having adorned himself with worlds rejoiced. That's kind of interesting there, the plurality of worlds. 
Seeing then that we have this pattern, let us conform ourselves with all diligence to his will. What is his will? To be adorned with good works. Let us with all our strength work the work of righteousness. So, yeah, okay, just a summary here. Yah rejoices in his works. So to be like the Most High, we too should rejoice in working. Good works, that's the key here. Not, not you know, fruitless works. Doing good works, being obedient to his will. He says in verse 8 that we have a pattern to conform ourselves to. The work of righteousness. All right. On chapter 34. The good workman receiveth the bread of his work with boldness, but the slothful and careless dareth not look his employer in the face. It is therefore needful that we should be zealous unto well-doing, for of him are these things. So what he's saying there is like if we, this is how I feel about uh, the, the work week. If I come to the seventh day and I'm exhausted, I'm like, yes, I, I had a good work week. I worked hard. I toiled for the father. And if I'm, I'm still fidgeting on Sabbath and I'm just, my mind is like, like I'm a bumblebee and, you know, just going all over the place. And I'm thinking about all the things I want to do and get done. I'm like, you know what? I, I, I didn't get as nearly the good work in that I should have. And that's part of the command of, of keeping the Sabbath. It's six days you shall work. On the seventh, you rest. Now, it's not saying you can't ever take a vacation. And people have been like, well, no, what about the handicap? And so it's like, that's not talking about that. But it's just within our means, we are expected to do good work because Yah has set that as an example for us. So we too are supposed to do good work, not fruitless work. If we are conforming to his image, that's what he's saying. All right. Since he forewarneth us, saying, Behold, Yahuwah and his reward is before his face. That's unbelievable right there. Um, like, it, it, the idea is like, when we first see his face, our reward is there too. That's, that's pretty crazy. To recompense each man according to his work. Man, like the first time I meet the Father, the Most High, my, according to, now, I don't know if I can back this up with scripture, but according to Clement, that's what he's saying. You meet him, your reward is there. That's such an awesome thought. He exhorteth, he exhorteth us, therefore, to believe on him with our whole heart and to not be idle nor careless into every good work. Let our boast and our confidence be in him. Let us submit ourselves to his will. Let us mark the whole host of his angels, how they stand. So let's take his angels as an example. We should be like his angels. How they stand by and minister unto his will. Not the fallen angels, of course. We don't want to be like them. For the scripture saith, ten thousands of ten thousands stood by him, and thousands of thousands ministered unto him, and they cried aloud, Holy, holy, holy is Yahuwah of Sabaoth. All creation is full of his glory. Yea, and let, her, let us ourselves then being gathered together in concord with intenseness of heart, cry unto him as from one mouth earnestly. That's really, that's a really great picture there too, how the whole congregation, his whole congregation crying out as one mouth, that we may be made partakers of his great and glorious promises. For he saith, 
eye hath not seen and ear hath not heard, and it hath not entered into the heart of man what great things he hath prepared for them that presently await him. And, um, you know, a large part of that is, I think, you know, the obviously the millennial kingdom. And um, for us, for those of us on the other side of it, I don't think the rules have changed. I mean, I still think we have great things. Uh, I have seen nothing in scripture to apply otherwise. So we, we in fact have great things awaiting us too. For those who are diligently seeking him and conforming to his character, who he is, which means desiring uh, to be obedient to his instructions and righteous living and um, to work laboriously, uh, you know, fruitfully. Chapter 35. How blessed and marvelous are the gifts of Elohim, dearly beloved. Life and immortality, splendor and righteousness, truth and boldness, faith and confidence, temperance and sanctification. And all these things fall under our apprehension. What then, think ye, are the things preparing for them that patiently await him? The creator and father of the ages, the all-holy one himself, knoweth their number and their beauty. Let us therefore contend that we may be found in the, the number of those that patiently await him to the end that we may be partakers of his promised gifts. Again, so the idea is, is that when the kingdom arrives or when we meet him face to face, that our um that what is promised, our rewards are there um at that time. But how shall this be, dearly beloved, if our mind be fixed through faith towards Elohim, if we seek out those things which are well pleasing and acceptable unto him, if we accomplish such things as beseem his faultless will and follow the way of truth, casting off from ourselves all unrighteousness and iniquity, covetousness, strifes, uh, malignities, and deceits, whisperings, and there it is again, and backbitings. That was going on a lot. Hatred of Elohim, pride and arrogance, vainglory and inhospitality. For they that do these things are hateful to Elohim. And not only they that do them, but they also that consent unto them. For the scripture saith, but unto the sinner said Elohim, wherefore dost thou declare mine ordinances and takest my covenant upon thy lips? Yet thou didst hate instruction and did cast away my words behind thee. He's talking about those who do away with his law. That's what Clement is commenting on. If thou sawest, I mean, he's very cleverly here. I mean, this is what the schism is about, guys. Like he's very cleverly addressing this issue, without, without uh, coming across as jealous or, you know, just contemptuous or backbiting towards these so-called whoever these rebels were. But he's addressing that issue. If thou sawest a thief, thou didst keep company with him, and with the adulterers thou didst set thy portion. Ouch. Thy mouth multiplied wickedness and thy tongue wove deceit. So these people are lying to themselves about keeping his covenants and they're not because they hate that instruction. It says they cast, they have words coming out of their mouth, but they have cast his words out of theirs. 
Thou saddest and spakest against thy brother and against the son of thy mother. Thou didst lay a stumbling block. These things thou hast done, and I kept silent. Though throughout unrighteous man, that I should be like unto thee. Um, I will point out where he's quoting from. Clements is not saying he has a word from the Most High here. He's quoting from Scripture. I will convict thee and will set thee face to face with thyself. Ouch. Now understand ye these things, ye that forget Elohim, lest at any time he seize you like a lion, and there be none to deliver. The sacrifice of praise shall glorify me, and there is the way wherein I will show him the salvation of Elohim. If I'm reading that right there at the end, he's actually saying that praise is a type of sacrifice. It's kind of interesting. All right, what do I have here? Verse four, there's the, there's the flip of the coin right there. He says, let us therefore make every effort to be found in the number of those who patiently wait for him so that we may share in his promised gifts. In order to do this, fix our mind upon Elohim. We are to cast off unrighteousness and lawlessness, covetousness, uh, strife, malice, deceit, gossip, slander, and hatred of Elohim, pride and arrogance and vanity and inhospitality. Sorry, guys, I'm stumbling tonight. So here's the key. For those who do these things are hateful to Elohim. So all these people out there who are, are basically taking his words of his covenant, tossing them aside, putting them behind him, coming up with new words on their own, and thinking that Elohim is just like them, that he's going to be cool with that. He's like, that's hateful to him. And here's where he quotes from Psalm 50, and I'll read verses 16 through 23. But to the, but to the wicked, Elohim says, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing that you hate instruction? And cast my words behind you. I'm, I'm going to just read that one more time. What right have you to declare my statutes, his law, his, his Torah? Or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing that you hate my instruction, you hate my Torah. And you cast my words behind you. You don't even do them. You, you forget about it. You, you, like, you don't think that's for you. It's like all the people that declare like how they're just like Abraham and David and they're, you know, they're homeboys with these guys, you know, and, and Isaiah that, you know, and they, you know, you go to these churches, they'll talk about wicked Israel and Judah. And it's like, you guys aren't listening to these prophets either. You're not listening to anything they're saying because they're speaking about your wickedness and the fact that you don't care to keep this. You don't even keep, keep a Sabbath. Anyways, reading on in Psalms, when you saw a thief. You consulted with him. So he's, he's, he, again, th this is an allegory, a metaphor of those who are, who, those who are taking their lot with those who are stealing from the most high. They're claiming an inheritance from him and they're not even being obedient to do anything to receive that reward. And you have been a partaker with adulterers. There's like, you know, spiritual harlotry again. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you. There is the big one. This straight out from Psalm right here. You thought I was altogether like you. People 
all across the world in the church through, you know, and I'm not, I don't want to slam Christianity here, but we're talking about the lawless. Okay. They think that Elohim is just like them, that he approves of their lawlessness. And they think that they're going to receive the reward when they meet him face to face. And he's saying here, uh, he, but he says, this is what's going to happen when you, we meet him face to face, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forgot Elohim, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whosoever offers praise glorifies me and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of Elohim. So on that day, when many people, these people who thought Elohim was just like them and they were lawless and they forsook his law, when they meet him face to face, he says, there will be none to help you on that day. That should frighten all of us. All right. I think we're on chapter 36. This is the way, dearly beloved, wherein we found our salvation. Even Yahushua Messiah, the high priest of our offerings, the guardian and helper of our weakness. Through him, let us look steadfastly unto the heights of the heavens. Through him, we behold as in a mirror his faultless and most excellent visage. Through him, the eyes of our hearts were opened. Through him, our foolish and darkened mind springeth up into the light. Through him, the master willed that we should taste of the immortal knowledge, who being the brightness of his majesty is so much greater than the angels, as he hath inherited a more excellent name. For so it is written, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But of his son, the master said thus, Thou art my son, I this day have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the Gentiles for thine inheritance, and the ends of the earth for thy possession. And again he saith unto him, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Who then are these enemies? They are the wicked and resist his will. Resist whose will? Do they resist Yahushua's will or the Father's will? It's an interesting little bit. Um, so those who are an enemy of Yahuwah the Most High, uh, Yahushua's father, are an enemy of the king Yahushua as well. Food for thought. And it's kind of interesting here that the progression, it appears, so let me see what he's quoting. Let me get to the actual uh, Psalm 110 and Psalm 2. So let me read Psalm 110 here. And it appears as though Yahuwah is actually offering to his son. Remember when uh, Herod offered to his, um, was it his, um, I think his stepdaughter, right? He's like, you know, what do you, ask what you want for your birthday gift. And she's like, the head of John the Baptist. And it was kind of similar with Yahuwah. He looks to his son and says, whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. Ask. And it appears as though Yahushua actually had to ask for the kingship. Like, he's like, father, can I, I would love to be king over the earth. And he's like, you got it, dude. You got it, son. And he gave it to him. That appears to be what, what happened here. So reading from Psalm 110. Sorry, guys, I have a little bit of a cold tonight. I'm a little bit, um, a little, if I sound a little nasally. Yahuwah says to my Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So this, I think this, this comes after the request, I think. And uh, he's like, all right, I'm going to make you king, but just sit at my right hand until all this gets accomplished and then you'll be rewarded. 
Yahuwah sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Yahuwah has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Meshelzedek. And that's, of course, referring to Yahusha being, uh, you know, the ruler. Uh, he's a priest of Meshelzedek. Psalm 2 says this, I will tell of the decree. Yahuwah said to me, you are my son. Today I, I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So there it is. He's like saying, if you ask this of me, I will give it to you. And apparently he had to ask. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Great, uh, con uh, great reference to the millennial kingdom there. All right, chapter 37. Let us therefore enlist ourselves, brethren, with all earnestness in his thoughtless ordinances. I have to, I have to admit, I kind of, uh, I won't say I rolled my eyes here, but you'll see what I mean. Let us mark the soldiers that are enlisted under our rulers. How exactly, how readily, how submissively they execute the orders given them. So he's going to give the analogy here that we are to be like, you know, the soldiers. All are not perfect uh, prefects, excuse me, nor rulers of thousands, nor rulers of hundreds, nor rulers of fifties and so forth. But each man in his own rank executeth the orders given by the king and the governors. The great without the small cannot exist, neither the small without the great. There is a certain mixture in all things and therein is utility. Let us take our body as an example. The head without the feet is nothing, so likewise the feet without the head are nothing. Even the smallest limbs of our body are necessary and useful for the whole body, but all the members conspire and unite in subjection that the whole body may be saved. Now, I, I, I said I kind of rolled my eyes at this because scholars will take this passage right here and say that he was justifying Rome's existence. It's like, I don't know if he was. He's taking this as an example. He's like, you guys, you guys see these soldiers all around you walking, these stormtroopers walking down the street. Look how orderly they are. And, you know, it, I, I really feel like he could have addressed this better if he said, um, look at the angels. Or I guess we don't really have um, uh, orders of angels. I take that back. But you guys, you guys know what he's talking about. And, and it, it's true. I mean, what he's saying is absolutely true. That he's saying, He's talking to the people in the schism. He's like, you guys are jealous of these leaders. You're attacking them. You're backbiting them. And, and maybe you weren't called to be a leader. Maybe you were just called to be, you know, uh, maybe these people were called to have a thousand people under them. And you're called to have one or two people that you uh, take care of, you know. So that that's obviously what he's addressing. Chapter 38. So in our case, let the whole body be saved, the Messiah, Husha. And let each man be subject unto his neighbor, according as also he was appointed with his special grace. Let not the strong neglect the weak, and let the weak respect the strong. Let the rich minister aid to the poor, and let the poor give thanks to Elohim, because he hath given him one through whom his wants may be supplied. Let the wise display his wisdom, not his words, but in good works. I actually really like how that's worded. He that is lowly in mind, let him not bear testimony to himself but leave testimony to be borne to him by his neighbor. He that is pure of the flesh, let him be so and not boast, knowing that it is another who bestoweth his countenance upon him. Let us consider, brethren, of what matter we were made, who and what manner of beings we were when we came into the world. 
from what a uh, sepulcher and what darkness he that molded and created us brought us into his world, having prepared his benefits beforehand, uh, ere ever we were born. Seeing therefore that we have all these things from him, we ought in all things to give thanks to him, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If I could rephrase this chapter, what I think he's saying here is that every single one of us were preconceived and specially formed by Elohim. I don't know if he's he's necessarily saying here that we pre-existed. He might be. He might be um, suggesting that. And certainly the recognitions of Clement seems to give that perspective as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it, basically what he's saying here is that each one of us were not just some freak accident of, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of sperm, you know, racing in a split second and we beat all the others, but you know, we, it's just a freak of evolution and chance and just happened to be that moment that our parents were in passion because, you know, if it was, you know, one week later, we would, we wouldn't exist. You see what I'm saying? Like, he's like every single one of us were crafted by Elohim in advance to, to have our strengths and our weaknesses and we are to recognize that and praise Yah for who we are and you know the position he has given us. The call what he has called us to. Chapter 39. Senseless and stupid and foolish and ignorant men jeer and mock at us, desiring that they themselves should be exalted in their imaginations. I don't know who these people are, but I don't know. I, I I'm taking it that these are the unbelieving, the the wicked goyim, the Gentiles. For what power hath a mortal, or what strength hath a child of earth? For it is written, there was no form before mine eyes, only I heard a breath and a voice. What then, shall a mortal be clean in the sight of Yahuwah? Or shall a man be unblameable of his works? Seeing that he is distrustful against his servants and noteth some perversity against his, against his angels. Nay, the heaven is not clean in his sight. Personally, I find that a little bit confusing what he's talking about there. I had to, I had to read that a few times, and I'm still not completely sure. And this is a different translation, too. Even the other one, I was a little bit uh, confused. Away then, ye that dwell in houses of clay, whereof even the same clay we ourselves are made. He smote them like a moth, and from morn to even they are no more, because they could not sec secure themselves, they perished. He breathed on them, and they died, because they had no wisdom. But call thou if perchance one shall obey thee, or if thou shalt see one of the holy angels. For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slave him that has gone astray. And I have seen fools throwing out roots, but forthwith their habitation was eaten up. Fair be their sons from safety. May they be mocked at the gates of inferiors, and there shall be none to deliver them. For the things which are prepared for them, the righteous shall eat but they themselves shall not be delivered from evils. So I think he's just basically talking about the people who are mocking the righteous and whatever that looked like in his day. Obviously, they were seeing a lot of persecution, probably particularly in Rome. And, um, you know, obviously, Kepha was killed at the circus there in Rome in the same city he's writing from. And he's basically saying the wicked are going to get theirs too. Chapter 40. 
For as much then as these things are manifested beforehand, and we have searched into the depths of the divine knowledge, we ought to do all things in order as many of the master hath commanded us to perform at their appointed seasons. Now the offerings and ministrations he commanded to be performed with care and not to be done rashly or in disorder, but at fixed times and seasons and where and by whom he would have them performed. This almost sounds like second Ezra. Basically, everything comes in a season, all people, their appointed times and their positions. It's not our choice. It's Yah's will. Don't don't fight against Yah's will. He himself fixed by his supreme will that all things being done with piety according to his good pleasure might be accepted to his will. So we want to be in his will, right? We, the idea is that those who are creating the schisms and um, the discord in the in the the church community are not accepting his will. They they want their own will. They therefore that make their offerings at the appointed season are acceptable and blessed. For a while they follow the institutions of the master they cannot go wrong for unto the high priest his proper services have been assigned this is so great guys please don't zone out here i'll read this again for unto the high priest his proper services have been assigned and to the priest their proper office is appointed and upon the levites their proper ministrations are laid the layman is bound by the layman's ordinances so Clement's focus is turning back on the schism again, as if it never really went away to begin with, and has us recognize that we each have our place. People tell me all the time how, you know, like sarcastically, how I should go sacrifice something for my sins if I want to obey Torah. Well, obviously, they don't understand Torah if that's the case, and Clement gets it. No, not anybody can just do what they want. Okay, it's, I think he's going to talk about it more in the next chapter, I think. Um, but. The idea is, is that we have high priests doing things for us. I am not a high priest. I'm not even a Levite priest. I cannot go to the temple and sacrifice. All right. And it, it is possible that he is addressing people who may have attempted this on their own. And he's like, dude, don't do it, guys. Don't do it. Go to Jerusalem. Have these people do it for you. But he's bringing up the point here is that, uh, you know, well, you guys know that the Levites were selected by the Most High. There were others who fought for that position, and they didn't get it. The rod went to Aaron, and he'll talk more about that. So those of us who are laymen are bound by layman's rules. I can't go make a sacrifice. That's up to Levites or the Meshelzedek priest. It's up to my high priest to do it. Chapter 41. Let each of you, brethren, in his own order, give thanks unto Elohim. So we are to give thanks to him as to how we are capable. Again, we don't have a temple today. There's things we can't do there. People will, you know, scoff at us. Well, you know, you can't keep Torah because there's no temple. Yeah, there are some things that I can only do in my order. And even he's saying this in his day. And I am convinced that when he's writing this, it's it's not 70 AD yet. The war has not started and the temple still stands. I'm seeing more and more evidence for that. He's writing like he's not under the impression that the temple is going to be destroyed. He doesn't seem to be like he's. He's, he's just taking it for granted that it's still there, that you can go there and you can do your service there. All right, uh, verse two. Not in every place, brethren, are the continual daily sacrifices offered or the free will offerings or the sin offerings and the trespass offerings, but in Jerusalem, Jerusalem alone, present tense. And even there, the offering is not made in every place, but before the sanctuary in the court of the altar. And this too through the high priest and the 
and the aforesaid ministers after that the victim to be offered hath been inspected for blemishes. They therefore who do anything contrary to the seemly ordinance of his will uh, of his will receive death as the penalty. You see, brethren, in proportion as greater knowledge hath been uh, vouchsafed unto us, so much the more are we exposed to danger. Did you get that last sentence? The more knowledge that has been given to us, the more in danger we are. And I have seen this. So I've talked about this the, since coming over to this, this Torah pursuant movement. I have seen more people fall away. I have seen more people do stupid things that have caused them to completely fall away from the faith. And I ever saw in the church where you're just in this paradigm and you just go there week after week and you're just in it. And it's because we are the, the more truth we come to, that's a greater responsibility. And a lot of us, I, I mean, I'm in danger of it, guys. A lot of us don't make the cut. All right, verse, uh, we need to, move on so i'm going to try let's see how many chapters am i going to get through oh i think i have uh two more chapters so we're almost done this is a good cutoff point and because he really we're gonna after 43 he really starts delving into the the specifics of the schism so this is a good cutoff point chapter 42 the apostles received the gospel for us from yahuwah yahushua messiah i believe he is specifically referring to the 12 there Yahusha Messiah was sent forth from Elohim. So then Messiah is from Elohim and the apostles are from Messiah. So he's saying those who Yahusha got his message directly from the father, the apostles, the 12 got it specifically from him. Both therefore came of the will of Elohim in the appointed order, having therefore received a charge and having been fully assured through the resurrection of our Adonai Yahusha Messiah and confirmed in the word of Elohim with full assurance of the Ruach HaKadosh, they went forth with glad tidings that the kingdom of Elohim should come. So preaching everywhere in country and town, they appointed their first fruits when they had proved them by the spirit to be bishops and deacons unto them that should believe. And this they did in no new fashion, for indeed it had been written concerning bishops and deacons from very ancient times. For thus saith the scripture in a certain place, I will appoint their bishops in righteousness and their deacons in faith. Let's see, what is he quoting from? He's referring to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 17, the LXX for reference. Uh, I'm not going to go there, but that's what he is quoting. Let's finish this up. Chapter 43. And what marvel if they which were entrusted in Messiah with such a work by Elohim appointed the aforesaid persons. Seeing that even the blessed Moshe, who was a faithful servant in all his house, recorded for a sign in the sacred books of all things that were enjoined upon him, and him also the rest of the prophets followed, bearing witness with him unto the laws that were ordained by him. For he, when jealousy, there's the word again, jealousy, arose concerning the priesthood, and there were, was dissension amongst the tribes, which of them was or, or adorned with the glorious name, commanded the 12 chiefs of the tribes to bring to him rods inscribed with the name of each tribe. And he took them and tied them and sealed them with the signet rings of the chiefs of the tribes and put them away in the tabernacle, the testimony in the table of Elohim. And having shut the 
tabernacle, he sealed the keys and likewise also the doors. And he said unto them, Brethren, the tribe whose rod shall bud, this hath Elohim chosen to be priests and ministers unto him. Now when morning came, he, he called together all Yasharel, even the 600,000 men, and showed the seals to the chiefs of the tribes, and opened the tabernacle of the testimony, and drew forth the rods. And the rod of Aaron was found not only with buds, but also bearing fruit. What think ye, dearly beloved? Did not Moshe know beforehand that this would come to pass? Assuredly he knew it. But that disorder might not arise in Yasharel, he did thus to the end that the name of the true and only Elohim might be glorified to whom he the glory forever to him to whom he or be excuse me the glory forever and ever amen so um that concludes the reading for the nights and we can discuss this afterwards. What I want to do now is so thank you everybody for coming for that to that discussion. Hopefully that that blessed you. I mean, I was just I've been pumped reading through First Clement, and you know, again, people are going to criticize, say, well, he's just a he's an apostolic father. Well, you know, yeah, he wasn't one of the apostles, but I mean, I'm looking at this and going, man, I, <laughs> I. I kind of like this lit up right next to like James or Yaakov and uh, Yehuda and some of the others. Like it just, it gives me so much clarity on what was going on and that, that there was clear rebellion. You see the same thing when Yehuda and, and Yaakov are writing, they're writing to these rebellious people. That was the theme of that 40 year generation. There were so many rebellious people. So with that, I'm going to close and we're going to take a couple minute break. And then we're going to start up again with, um, the Genesis Targum chapter two. Thank you everyone for being here. And I'm going to be turning off my mic. I'll be back in like one minute. And Michael, you can, how are you doing tonight? I'll be right back. All right. Doing great. How's everybody else?